Welcome, everybody. This is Harry Kaysen, and on today's film review show, I'm highlighting four new movies for December. Though, don't let the sleigh bells fool you, because they're not necessarily holiday fare, but they're all brilliant, all with females at the center of the story, and all quite surprising. Up next, here on Movie Night. Hi there. As I've said, I'm Harry Kaysen, and this show is called Movie Night, K-N-I-G-H-T, here on WOMR and WFMR. In my career, I've been a writer, director, and actor in Hollywood, though now I'm happy to call Cape Cod my home sweet home. This is my final episode for 2023, and what a great year it's been. The films I'm reviewing for this episode are Anatomy of a Fall, A Good Person, The Deepest Breath, and the one film this month that happens to be my favorite. I like to reserve that title until later to keep you guessing and hopefully tuned in. Now, my opinions are mine and mine alone, and though I do splash them around, the one thing I won't be doing is handing out negative reviews. It's not that there aren't unfulfilled movies out there, it's just that I know firsthand how challenging it can be to bring one of these little suckers to life. And this vaunted radio station, WOMR, is such a force for good, I want to honor that noble legacy like a good movie night should. As an added bonus, I will also be interviewing an esteemed colleague from Hollywood. He is a writer and producer and also happens to be a doctor. He is Dr. Stephen Beck, and his creative credits are as impressive as his medical credits. He was a writer on Chicago Hope, The Twilight Zone, Seven Days, Star Trek Enterprise, Doc and several others. He also co-wrote several films with me, including Rodeo and Juliet and A Midsummer's Hawaiian Dream. He's been my dear friend and colleague for over 45 years, and he's as upbeat and whip-smart now as he was when I met him as a medical student. Please stay tuned for our fun and funny interview. First up is Anatomy of a Fall. It was written by Justine Triette, along with her life partner, Arthur Harari. It was directed by Ms. Triette, and it stars Sandra Hewler, Swan Arlo, Milo Machado-Grainer, and Samuel Theiss. Well, first off, this film just won the Palme d'Or at Cannes this year, that festival's highest prize. It is a French-produced film, though it is largely in English. This is a murder mystery slash courtroom drama, and to call it Hitchcockian would not be doing this film or Hitchcock a disservice. Here's the plot. A married couple, Sandra and Samuel, are living in a fixer-upper chalet in the French Alps. We see right away their marriage is less than perfect. They have a preteen son, Daniel, who is partially blind. Within very short order, the husband, Samuel, falls to his death from the attic window, while Daniel is out for a walk and his wife is supposedly in the other room. The police arrive. Sandra is in shock. How did this happen? An accident? Suicide? Murder? Hmm, we, as the audience, will spend the next 90 minutes trying to figure that out. But this is not Glass Onion or Agatha Christie. It's much more subtle, like life itself. Ms. Triette only parcels out little nuggets of information at a time as the movie progresses, and tantalizingly so. She and her co-writer, Mr. Harari, play with time, so that we meet the late husband in a series of flashbacks, showing us how complicated and wounded he was from the get-go, they also play with character, so that more and more of Sandra's true nature comes forth in unexpected ways. 
and the mystery at place with sound. In key moments, there are conflicting bits of dialogue laid over from other scenes, trying to throw us off the trail, or maybe lead us back onto it. But let's talk about the actors. Miss Hewler, who was jolly funny some years back in a rare German comedy, Tony Erdmann, is here giving a tour de force performance. Expect her to garner an Oscar nomination. She's riveting and real in a custom role that fits her like a glove. Swan Arnaud, as her lawyer, is just as compelling. Samuel Thice, as the man-at-the-end-of-his-rope husband, makes us believe he's capable of anything. And Milo Machado Grainer, as the partially blind young son, is touching and heartbreaking as the child caught in the middle. But the film belongs to Ms. Euler all the way. This is a breakthrough performance for her and will surely gain her Hollywood's attention, the way a young Meryl Streep did or Glenda Jackson or Judy Dench. Telling you more details of this story would be downright cruel of me to spoil the pleasure you'll have in trying to untie this Gordian knot yourself. Hitch may not be with us anymore, but his spirit is alive and well in this meticulous and fascinating whodunit. Look for Ms. Triet and Ms. Hewler to soon be household names. Anatomy of a Fall in theaters now. The next film up is A Good Person. It was written and directed by Zach Braff, and it stars Florence Pugh, Morgan Freeman, Molly Shannon, Celeste O'Connor, and Chinaza Uche. Okay, you need to know right off the bat, this is a movie about substance addiction. Yes, there have been a number of those lately, but, and this is a significant but, it tells its story with great heart, great truth, and fearless emotional performances helmed by a director of consummate skill who clearly loves his actors. Mr. Braff has an obvious rapport with his cast that borders on clairvoyant. It was said of Fellini that he loved the performances forth from his actors. Mr. Braff is definitely of that school. Here's the story. Florence Pugh is a young lady in a small American town, and she's about to get married to her loving fiancé. Just before the wedding, she has a terrible accident— stemming from a momentary lapse of hers, one we all could have made, and it destroys her future and sends her down a rough road indeed. Morgan Freeman plays the father of someone killed in the accident, and the relationship between Ms. Pugh's character and Mr. Freeman's character becomes incredibly strained, but it also becomes a living, breathing entity. Fully realized performances from the both of them. What's more, both characters are grappling with substance issues as they strive to deaden their pain. Like I said earlier, this isn't a typical holiday film, as it deep dives into some dark territory, but it holds a deeply felt concern for the souls of its characters, which I always appreciate. Now, Florence Pugh, the star here, gets around quite a bit these days. Just in the last year, she's either starred or been prominently featured in four major movies. I began the year as a bit of a fan of hers, but now I consider myself full-fledged. She even gets to sing and play the piano here, besides tackling a role that is her most multifaceted, demanding, and transcendent. I expect her to be nominated, along with several of the other female actors I'm reviewing this week. It's a banner year for three-dimensional women's roles, and high time. Morgan Freeman could very well be nominated, too. Of course, find ten seconds of footage of Mr. Freeman from any of his roles that wasn't perfect. I don't overstate when I say he is a national treasure. Celeste O'Connor, as his granddaughter, is right there with him, matching him scene by scene. 
It also doesn't hurt that the camera loves her, and Chinaza Uche is grounded and always believable as Ms. Pugh's bewildered and adrift fiancé. So, this film is not for everyone. It's raw around the edges, here and there. But the strength of these soaring performances, coupled with a writer-director who has drawn forth such a compelling and human story, made it, for me, worth every moment. When's the last time you felt like that about a movie? A hidden gem that well deserves to be discovered. A Good Person. Available on Prime Video. The next film is a documentary, and in my humble opinion, it's the best one I've seen this year. It's called The Deepest Breath, and it was written and directed by Laura McGann. This movie follows the career of two people, Alessia Zucchini, a world record-holding free diver, and Stephen Keenan, her safety diver companion and coach. Okay, well, it's a stunningly beautiful world that is free diving. That's where there's a rope that stretches way down into the ocean, and then there are athletes who follow that rope with only one breath, hopefully to set a depth record and then make their way, unassisted, back to the surface. Sounds easy. If you're a dolphin, for people it's a bit tougher, especially when the depths reach down to the equivalent of a 70-story building. It's a stunningly beautiful world, but it's stunningly dangerous also. People die doing this, even with safety divers around them. When a human pushes themselves so far, sometimes there's a price to pay. For Alessia Zucchini, we see through family archive footage that she was always going to challenge herself by going one step further. And that push is what we see as she attempts world records. Similarly, we follow Stephen Keenan as he travels the world searching for a purpose until he finds his niche as a safety diver. Then, almost miraculously, we see how Alessia and Stephen become a loving couple, he as her coach and most fervent admirer. A warning, though, this is not for little children, as it does depict several rather traumatic near accidents and even a death. But at the end of the day, this beautiful and moving film is not about death or people facing obliteration just to prove something to themselves. It's about a loving connection between people in a rarefied community a connection so strong they're willing to risk their lives for each other. The Deepest Breath on Netflix. It gives me great pleasure to bring forth my honored guest now. He is Dr. Stephen Beck, an actual MD and an actual writer and producer in Hollywood. He has worked on a number of television shows, including Chicago Hope, Star Trek Enterprise, the Twilight Zone, many others. He co-wrote several feature films with me. He's been my dear friend for over 45 years, ever since we were <laughs> negative 10 years old. Haha. <laughs> and I'm thrilled to have him on my show. As a writing partner, he's been an invaluable and inspiring collaborator. And as a doctor, well, he actually saved my life with a timely and vital prognosis. To say I'm fond of him would be the understatement of all time. Without further ado... I give you Dr. Stephen Beck. So I am here with my good friend, Dr. Stephen Beck. How are you, sir? Oh, very well. Thank you, Barry. One of the questions I get asked a lot as a writer is, where do you get your ideas from? So, Steve, where do you get your ideas from? You know, literally, it seems to be that I will sit down and have an empty notepad, and I will 
literally start just jotting down random thoughts. They sometimes coalesce into an idea, sometimes they don't, but I find that it changes the way I'm thinking to a different kind of brainwave where it's open to things that I have heard, read, or, or thought about. Sometimes I'll approach it from what kind of theme would I like to write about? Sometimes it's what type of character. Often it is a genre or a type of story I want to tell. And out of a hundred ideas, maybe one or two will stick. Sure, sure. Well, can I ask you, I know many writers work on multiple projects at the same time, just it kind of gives them a fresh take sure. on circling back to a, a certain project. Do you work that way? Do you do you concentrate on one one project or do you do multiple projects? That's a great question. I think I, I, I would have to say I concentrate on one, although at the same time, there are a few others bubbling. But I'm, I'm pretty much, uh, if I've got an idea and I think it's good, I pretty much will chase it to the end uh, and focus on that one idea. Okay. With, knowing that there's another couple lined up that I would like, that, that are possible. Uh, and, and cutting to the chase here, since uh, you are a doctor, uh, what the hell? Why, why, do you, why do you mess around with this stuff? It's crazy. Well, it's been proven I'm crazy. <laughs> That's what my parents asked. What the hell are you doing? Uh, uh, no, Harry, you know, ever since I was a little kid, I've written. And uh, I decided uh, it, medicine was something that I've always wanted to do and love, not for the money, not for anything, except for the fact that it's it was helping people. And my grandfather, uh, who was a lawyer when I was probably 16, said, you should do something good with your brain. But it was always in the back of my mind. Uh, after a few well, being a doctor or being a writer, being a writer. Always, thank you for clarifying. Always in the back of my mind. Um, I had a roommate in uh, med school who we both know who worked at Universal and bring home scripts, and I, you know, read them and say, "Well, I can do this." Well, of course I couldn't. It's quite the learning process. But the first real job I got was um, a spec script for a show called Island Sun, which was about a doctor in Hawaii. So I was staying uh -huh. in my lane. So it was sort of like my medicine fueled my writing and then my writing fueled my medicine. And at one point I, I wrote a spec script for Chicago Hope and they needed a doctor on staff, a writer doctor. And at that point I had enough skill that I think I thought, well, I can make this change. And I did into something I loved more than medicine. Well, let me ask you, uh, is a good day for a doctor the same as a good day for a writer? Oh, um, no, completely different. Medicine in, in some way, well, it, it is solving a puzzle. A patient comes in with um, a problem and you run through possibilities. You communicate with a patient. You, you, you figure out if what they are saying is um, complete or valid when you're a doctor you, you, so you you you're approached with a problem when you're a writer you create it you create what is on the page you create what is what what, what your end product is both are fulfilling but in in completely different ways uh medicine you you're you're fulfilled because you're you you have solved a problem and helped a person writing is fulfilling because you've solved a problem and created something that that is hopefully special. Sure. Sure. That's fascinating. Um, 
What about the things you've seen recently from a writer's point of view? What have you appreciated this last year? Oh, my God. Well, um, uh, murders of the kill, killings of the August moon, killings of the August. Killers, of the, killers of the flower moon. Thank you. I, obviously, I'm not good with titles. <laughs> it's not your forte. Someone else does that. Yeah, somebody tells me to go to a movie and it's called this. Uh, because of its epic nature. You know, I actually liked Avatar 2 because I am in many ways a structuralist, and that's kind of brilliantly structured. Uh, 45 minutes, uh, Act 1, 90 minutes, Act 2, and 45 minutes, Act 3. I'm, I'm a traditionalist in storytelling. I love when a good story is put together uh, well and carefully. Um can I say something to you? Yeah, please. My Although my first job was on Island Sun, it was many years before I got another job. And it was due to our my dear friend, Harry Casey, who was on a show called The Watcher. And he called me in to, he said, well, why don't you come in and see if we can get you a job? Because he was on staff. See if we can get you a job. And Sure. And so I actually, that was the true beginning of my career. And I owe it to, my, to you, Harry. Oh, well, that's awfully nice. I, I, I barely did anything there. It was a pleasure to have you around, as it always is. Um, let's talk about the, some of the folks you've worked with. Uh, not that we need to name any names, but uh, we've both worked with madmen and geniuses. And yes. sometimes they're the same person. Yes. Uh, I just there you've worked on projects that I haven't been involved in. So the ones that I know that, you know, we don't need to talk about. But if you can you give me an example of some of the projects you've been involved in where it was just hard to believe that the person uh, uh, in charge was not in a straitjacket? I've always found great, great staff writers around me, great other producers, but the head people can be, because of pressures and because they're not uh, equipped for the job, can be a little bit crazy. And as you know, having been there, there are wonderful moments and wonderful people, but hiding, there are also not so nice people hiding behind the, the front of being, of, of being nice. Now, on the other hand, uh, it was a wonderful experience working for me, uh, working on Seven Days, which I worked on with you. Mm -hmm. Subsequent shows, there's one, um, uh, Sue Thomas, FBI, and Doc, which were filmed simultaneously. Doc was Billy Ray Cyrus's first acting job, and he was a doctor in uh, uh, from the country in Hawaii. Wonderful experience. So there can be wonderful and there can be bad. Um, I think you know that the specialness of being on a tv show is being in a room with a bunch of people and creating something and creating something where everybody's contributing mm -hmm. nobody is letting their ego get in the way it is a wonderful wonderful experience to create a story whether on your own or with a group of people um really i couldn't agree more yeah yeah so I've been privileged enough to a friend of mine was a college teacher for a while, and he brought me in to several of his classes and allowed me to do that with his creative writing class. And we put together a story just right there, the the 15 of us uh, within an hour. And the kids were just dazzled that it was possible to do something like that. And it's really it was a, that is really a, a, a fun thing to do. Wouldn't you agree that people who go into to our business um, in some way or another fall in love with that magic uh, the, the the storytelling magic. I think so. I think it's like being in a band and you're creating music. We're like right there. Yeah, and the best way is that you're in a, you're in a band and everybody's on the same page. Mm -hmm. and it's not always that way. 
talk to me about the difference between because I talked with uh, our friend Leslie Dixon, who's a writer producer. You're also a writer producer. What uh, what difference hats are there between a writer and a producer? Oh wow! I would say I would say a writer creates a spark that hopefully a producer or a director or a studio sees as well. So the writer's job is to say, here's a, here's something that can, um, that can be made into something. Here's something special. Here's something different. Whereas a producer takes what it is and tries to uh, find the best way to tell it, to show it, uh, find the best people um, to be involved in it. And that includes actors. That includes uh cameraman that includes cinematographers that includes everything so the difference is in one you're, you're you're sort of in charge of producing a product that everyone will see as a writer you're producing a product that has something special about it sure yeah sure uh there's been a number of times i've been on a set uh either as a writer or a director and i've seen an actor just kind of lift off the ground, you know, mm. kind of kind of magically fly. If you, you, I'm sure you've experienced that. Uh, can you talk a little bit about some of those experiences? Sure. I would say the the, the thing that taught me the most was uh, when I was on Seven Days. The showrunner, um, I, our both our friends, Chris Crow, uh, allowed us to see the dailies of what we had written, and that taught me. Two or three things. As you said, number one, uh, an actor can take what you've written and transform it or, or, or make it something special that maybe even you didn't expect. Uh, but the second is to hear your, your own words come to life. And I remember the first time I saw my dailies, I, I suddenly went, shut up. You know, you've written too much. <laughs> oh, too much talking. Too much talking, too many. Oh. What the hell are you doing? Because an actor interprets and a director helps them interpret it. I'm through. Oh, sure. And I do know a number of actors that don't want to see dailies. They really don't. They're, they're, they're afraid of them. Really? Because yeah. it makes them self-conscious. Yeah, self-conscious. Is there a particular story that you've got uh, that you've got your hooks into that you, you hope someday you can tell, regardless of how commercial it might be? Is there something you've always wanted to say? Yeah, that's a great question. My grandfather, um, the one who said to me, Steve, you should do something smart with your brain, that was a lawyer, um, was I found his diary, and he he's from Sweden, sorry, from Swedish stock, a uh, very reticent man, but I found his one-year-long diary of the year my, my father was born. And from that, from reading between the lines from this diary, I decided, you know, there's a wonderful story there because in that period of time, um, he was a small town emporia lawyer who was given the task of prosecuting the richest man in Kansas wow. for a bond scandal. And what he, time period? Uh, 1927. 27. Yeah. 100 years ago. 100 years ago. And he faced all sorts of obstacles. And oh, yeah, yeah. So it's a father son story and and um, and one that maybe not be super commercial. You know, you're not one. Well, OK, they're going to go shoot uh, aliens on Mars, whatever. So it's a little bit it's a little bit of a, uh, a personal project. But God, I'd love to do it. And it's probably going to be the next thing I do. Well, sounds great. 
well, I'll be, one person will read it, me too, and you. I'll read it. <laughs> you will read it. I'll direct it. <laughs> Happy to direct it. Well, we're going to say goodbye now, Ms. Yeah, Dr. Steve. Uh, I can't thank you enough for your time and your your energy and your uh, your great uh, your great point of view. Uh, thank you for being a doctor. Thank you for being my friend. Thank you for being a writer. I'm delighted to be your friend here and to have you as my friend as well. Oh, that's very nice. And say hi to Claire. Up next is my favorite film for this month, and it is a doozy. (laughs) The title is Poor Things. It was directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, and it was written by Tony McNamara from the book by Alasdair Gray. It stars Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, Willem Dafoe, and Rami Youssef. This film just won the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival, which is that event's highest prize. So, I saw this movie about four weeks ago, and I'm still trying to figure out what to say about it, other than, oh my dear lord. (laughs) Well, here goes. (laughs) It's London in the 1900s, at least a version of London if it were designed by elves on ecstasy. A scientist, played by Willem Dafoe, is conducting experiments in reanimating dead tissue. Yes, like Frankenstein. There's a lot here, very much like Frankenstein. That is, if Frankenstein was an outrageous sex comedy that dazzles and shocks one moment, then titillates and seduces the next, Emma Stone plays the monster, so to speak, and Mark Ruffalo plays a handsome lout who can't help but be mesmerized by the completely unpredictable, reanimated girl, woman, prankster, whatever she is. In a nutshell... This is a tale of a female's progress in the world, and what progress it is. Emma Stone is introduced to us as a full-grown woman-slash-child who traverses this fantasy world with eyes wide open, and eventually also her legs. Like I said, this is a sex comedy, accent on sex, because there's a lot of it. Also, a lot of nudity. There's also some violence. There are also scenes of extreme surgery. It's got something to offend everyone. But I found it brilliant, hilarious, and always surprising. What's around the next corner, you'll never guess. In my book, that's high praise. And the performances. Expect Ms. Stone to be up there competing for Best Actress with Sandra Hewler and Florence Pugh. Is she having a field day? Yes. Is she enjoying the mad, devilish time while charging forth as possibly the most liberated female character ever? Absolutely. And Willem Dafoe is just right as Emma's creator, treading the fine line between madness and more madness while looking like some weird doll who was put back together with the wrong instructions in the box. And Mark Ruffalo is having perhaps a bit too much fun as the oily ne'er-do-well who goes potty for Emma. But this is Yorgos' film all the way. He is charging the barricades, all flags flying. Fearless director, fearless writer, fearless actors. I can't guarantee you will be as amused as I was. That is, if you can keep your eyes from jumping out of your head. But I can guarantee you, you will never be bored. In theaters, December 8. That's it for this episode, December 4th, 2023. I want to thank my guest, my dear friend, Dr. Steve Beck. Now, I happen to be wrapping up a full year here at WOMR, and I have some folks I'd like to mention who made this all possible. 
I'm grateful to the station's executive director, John Braden. I'm also grateful to my brother-in-law, Robert Johnson, a fine DJ on this station, for suggesting this show. I also want to thank Mr. Matthew Dunn, better known as Maddie Dredd, operations manager and on-air talent. I also want to thank my dear wife, Lynn, for her participation and opinions on these movies. And thank you, dear listeners, for lending an ear. I hope this past year I've turned up at least a few films you've enjoyed. I'll be back in 2024 on the first Monday of January at 12.30 in the afternoon. It has been a privilege and delight to be of service. This is Harry Kaysen, your movie night. Happy holidays. Goodbye and good movies. <laughs>